Welcome to What the If News, a little bonus program, a little mini episodes that we do. Um, those of us who uh, do the What the If program, which is usually weekly on Fridays, we do a 45-minute show thought experiment. But um, because there's been a lot of virus news, we've been living through a pandemic, we've been living through strange times, we've uh, uh, kept our virologists uh, on call. Gabby Panicia has been here keeping us up to date on the, on the virus and things going on uh, in the lab and out of the lab and things like that. Uh, it's a strange morning, to be honest. It is, uh, as we record this, June 2nd. It's 9 a.m., just after 9 a.m. here in uh, New York City. and. Um, Gabby and Matt are here. They are in Manhattan, and I am in uh, just across the river in Brooklyn. And we've had a strange night of um, uh, looting and massive peaceful protests, I would emphasize, too. But considering the whole coronavirus situation, this is, I mean, the pandemic in New York was already somewhat uniquely uh, terrifying. Yeah, situation. a little different here than everywhere else. Yep. Considering the density. So um, what's, uh, what have you seen outside uh, your neighborhoods last night? I will say this. I was listening to the police scanner, as I am wont to do, and it just sounded like total. I mean, of course, from their perspective, it was chaos. There was lots of individual stores being looted, but mostly I don't think anybody was hurt. There was not a lot. Yeah, for the last damage. couple of days... Um... So I live very close to Washington Square Park, which is one of the um, central locations for the protests. And the protests tend to begin um, in the afternoon or so, uh, and they are peaceful and uh, well-organized um, until uh, it gets dark or so. And that's when the police helicopters show up and the sirens start going. Um, and that lasts pretty much all night. Yes, the police helicopters and the television helicopters, I would say. Even. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> they are just, uh, it adds to the chaos in a way. I'm not, I don't think they intend to, but boy, it just escalates the feeling of no anxiety mm -hmm. during the scenes. And Gabby, you are, uh, so Rockefeller University is up in Midtown. Well, that's where, yeah, we're, we're definitely upper, I, I, like Upper East Side, I guess, maybe like the yeah. lower side of Upper East Side. Right. Um, for, and, me, for, well, for me, what I, I only really saw like peaceful protests, but I also think I was seeing like people organizing. Like I, I only caught glimpses to be honest. Um, yeah. but it was more people either coming down from the Upper East Side or like the protests spreading up. Um, I was definitely surprised just, you know, to get like an emergency alert curfew text. Um, which is the weirdest thing I, I think is, you know, for the duration of the pandemic night was mostly like the least people time. Of like, right. you know, you'd go and do a lot of stuff at night and then all of a sudden, you know, a, just a couple of days out before I think New York starts reopening, it's like, okay, here's the nighttime curfew. So it's these sort of mm -hmm. two major things happening in the, in the United States coming together convergently, I guess, at the same time. It's definitely, God, it's going to be a big chapter on 2020 for the history books. It's yeah, all I, all I right. keep thinking. I didn't even think about that. It's sort of weird, like two massive governmental edicts kind of not conflicting actually with the, you know there was the one stay inside keep social mm -hmm. distance and there's another one which is stay inside um but tonight it so last night it was 11 p.m was the curfew tonight it, it's 8 p.m 
Oh, it got I, shorter? Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, Which I got to say, I have friends who live down in the village and they were saying like, why did you wait till 11 o'clock? Um, but uh, I feel like it's kind of like the governor saying, um, or, and the mayor, whoever makes this decision, you know, okay, you guys, you, you were bad last night. So no TV, you're going to bed early. Eight mm-hmm. like, it's not even dark yeah. here at eight o'clock. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, hopefully everything will be okay. And um, I'll, I'll just end this little section here by saying we all have mixed, you know, because we've been, we, we are scientifically minded and Gabby in particular is an actual professional scientist. Um, it's bizarre. To, it's, it's an uneasy feeling to want to um, support and see, you know, we understand the reasons for people protesting and protest is good. This is America. This is something we do. Uh, we try to do anyway. And, um, but to see people putting get in it just dense crowds, not everyone wearing masks, it's kind of unnerving. I mean, um, I will say though, my yeah. support for that over like oh, completely overweighs my position as a scientist. Like of the protests that have happened here, the, the people who are protesting for states reopening as caseloads were climbing, idiots. Biggest right. idiots I've ever heard of. <laughs> exactly. The That's people right. who are protesting systemic racial injustice in this, injustice in this country. I think that tracks is something like that's worth venturing out for in this. Yeah. Yeah. Making a, just some personal sacrifice in, in, in the name of a good cause. Um, so right there at Rockefeller University, you are experiencing a, a whole new phase they're moving into. So tell us about that. What's Oh, yeah. So we're, we actually we go back to work. Yesterday was the first day that they, they opened. So I think it was about two weeks ago on a Thursday. It was actually really quick. Uh, the reopening committee basically just like emailed every head of the lab and was like, hey, get us your plans for reopening by Wednesday. Um, and so all of the scientists like over Memorial Day weekend were frantically scribbling as fast as they could uh, to to work up effective plans for their laboratory. And so it was like a blur of of meetings and all of the scientists talking to each other to figure out how best to coordinate. Um, and then, you know, the plans got generally approved. I don't actually know if anyone really got turned down. Um, so I just wanted to, to help people understand what, because I'm not exactly sure what to envision here. So as I go through the door, what do I see? What does it look like? Yeah, so um, we are essentially an entire floor of the hospital building. So there's multiple points of entry into our lab. There's like four elevators um, that can take you up into different areas of the lab. Um, we're essentially connected by a series of hallways, but are a bunch of different small rooms. Um, so normally I think there could be anywhere between like four and 10 people working in a room based on the size. But now because of virus restrictions, we have to either have anywhere between, you know, one and like five people in a room max. Right. Um, and the focus of what is the, fo- like, what does this lab do? We do, we do virology. We're, we're a virology right. lab. Um, and although we're a little weird, we've branched out into some weird stuff just based on like, uh, we used to work primarily with hepatitis viruses. So then that sucked in a bunch of people who were interested in liver stuff. So then we have some people working on like liver diseases and it's just like, Mm. it's jumped to some adjacent interests, but it is primarily a virology lab. Um, And throughout this, we have been doing SARS-CoV-2 research. So there was a team of, I think about like 12 or 15 people who have been working consistently through this. Um, But of course with 12 or 15 people, that's a much more sustainable group to to manage right and so when i look at it what, what do i see people working my images either are they sitting at computers are they on the phone are they what is working with the pipettes is that what you call it? yeah yeah so there's there's two so, different modes if you're at a bench like essentially think like a long countertop um where 
on either side of the countertop, someone can work. Um, and so essentially, like, usually, like, there'll be a row of cabinets down the middle of the thing or, like, shelves um, so you can store your equipment. Um, but essentially, you are facing another person and there is some kind of gap. They're not walled off from each other, right, um, in right. part because in the middle is usually where we keep our vacuum or gas lines um, for, you know, Bunsen burners or stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so those aren't obstructed. Um, and one of the other modes that we work in, uh, besides bench work, which is a little bit more contained, we don't work with virus in the bench. Uh, we work in a tissue culture hood. Um, and so actually the tissue culture room is our biggest point of contention, um, because tissue culture is essentially the maintenance of cells outside of an animal. Um, so I could have, you know, bat cells in a Petri dish basically, um, Mm. and growing them, growing virus on them, a bunch of things like that. Um, Often people maintain a lot of cell lines um, and they require sort of a a certain maintenance. It's kind of like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people now have started a sourdough starter and it requires (laughs) constant feeding. Our cells also require constant feeding. Uh, They have to be kept at, you know, a good temperature or whatever and monitored. And uh, we can only allow four people in the tissue culture room at all times. And I don't think there's a single person in our laboratory who doesn't do some kind of tissue culture. Um, so, so when is you that have, just like shelves and shelves of Petri dishes in refrigerators or something? It, it's incubators. Yeah. So we have these incubators, big uh. incubators that are like all across. I think we have like, oh, it's an obscene number of them. I want to say it's like eight. Um, and it's the incubators are, is it warm? Is it? Yeah, they're, they're warm. And so ah, we, we wow. keep most of them at essentially body temperature because we're growing human or mammalian cells. Although we do have one or two incubators for mosquito cell culture. Um, which is done at a lower temperature. I want to say it's like 30. So have those incubators been running for two months unattended? So some of them have been running. Some of them have been running, but not all of them. So the people who are doing SARS-CoV-2 work, um, they're, they're doing some other related coronavirus work. Mm-hmm. Um, so like common cold coronaviruses, just trying to hash out stuff that might be similar between them. Um, and those are BSL-2. Uh, um, so they don't need to be in like a special containment facility. Um, and so they've been working, you know, using those incubators. Um, so some of them have been running. Um, but, you know, when this first started, a lot of us had to freeze all of our cells. And reviving cell lines, is, it's not necessarily hard, but sometimes it's a little bit of a, more of an art than a science. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you might try to thaw that vial and it's just, it's not going to thaw well. Um, or like the cells are going to be mostly dead and take a while to like get back up to a population you can work with. I mean, some people work with huge, huge quantities of cells. Um, Kind of put this in like a a good visual perspective. Um, We use these flasks, a bunch of different sizes, and they're done by, they're sort of grouped by the um, surface area of the flask because a lot of cells adhere to a certain Mm -hmm. surface area. Um, So like, T25s, T75s, E125s. Um, and so people have the largest possible flasks and they'll have like eight of them for one experiment. And that's just one type of cell. If they need more, they'll have another eight of that. Um, so sometimes, you know, these experiments can get really, really big, which is why we have so many incubators. And so, you know, it's one of these things where starting up requires, you know, you really have to, if you have an experiment that you're trying to start back up, that takes a lot of cells. You're going to have to work out a good time that you can constantly be there to take care of them, to throw them into multiple vials. 
um, it, it's it's definitely more of an involved process, which is requires a lot of communication and cooperation because at this point, you know, you may have to call in a buddy who's in the lab for, you know, just a couple of hours or something like that to be like, hey, can you change the media on these or they're all going to die? Um, I can't get in today. Um, Do you think the cells notice that they've been abandoned? Do they feel bad? I mean, I don't know. I, I really hope they don't because that would make me feel bad for all the times I've doused, doused them in bleach in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just had an image of the scientists, so you guys, who are collections of cells, basically, in the lab trying to manage you know, your cell populations, you, uh, and then there's the virus potentially swirling around. And so you're, you know, like the immune system, you're trying to keep the virus away from your cells. And then you're all managing these cells that are, you know, in incubators and flasks. And yeah, this is, it's interesting. So um, (laughs) just to wrap it up, basically, you've given us just a tiny glimpse of the fact that Opening up is not just a matter of like everybody who, you know, everyone's going back to work. If you work in a restaurant, if you work in a regular office or whatever, there's all kinds of new procedures we're going to have to deal with. But here, the specific thing that's particularly uh, noteworthy, I suppose, is that reviving, maintaining those experiments um, has been a challenge and reviving all of these experiments, all of which are essential to. I mean, um, everyone's focused on, or a lot of people there, right, are focused on finding a cure. How would we call it? Yeah, so there's, I don't know if we're necessarily, we're not like working on a a vaccine, but there's a lot of us who are working on actually helping with trying to pick apart the relationship between ACE2 um, variants. So like, for example, not everyone's ACE2 is the same. What is ACE? Like there's tons of different tiny changes in the receptor that the virus uses for entry, uh, which is ACE2. Um, and so one of the things we're doing is we're testing all of these different like mutants that have been found in people, which don't affect the receptor's ability to work, but may affect how sick they get. Yeah. Um, so while we're not. You're studying the, the basic function of how the virus operates and interacts with the body, right? Yeah. So this is actually this yeah, interacts with the body is really the emphasis on this. So it's le- we're less looking at the spike on the virus and more looking at the sort of reciprocal spike on the person. Um. And what, how that interacts with the virus spike. So the corona sphere, which we're all familiar with, and it has lots of spikes on it, which mm-hmm. is why it's called corona for a crown, right? And what you're saying mm-hmm. is those go attack uh, human, uh, human, <laughs> our cells, and our own cells have spikes on them too? That's yeah, so saying. we have receptors on our cells, which viruses use for entry. It isn't, like, they essentially exploit that as a... a sort of a lock that they have the key to open. Um, and so the spike is, is the key. And then we have the lock, which is ACE2, that it's using to like get in there. Um, but people have slightly different ACE2. Um, and it's just like tiny, like single amino acid variations. But that may actually have a decent effect on um, the spike protein. And so part of the reason why we're studying this is either A, figuring out what people might be more at risk. If you have this one random form of ACE2, that might dramatically increase, like, you know, how tight the spike binds or something like that that makes you more susceptible. Um, but also, too, we, there's a concept of making um, ACE2 decoys um, in the body where if 
essentially tricking the virus into binding to a thing that's not your cell. And once the spike binds, it can't reset itself. So essentially that virus is functionally negated. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) It's like a mousetrap. Yeah, and we're trying to maybe find variants of ACE2 that like bind the spike really, really tightly. So then we can give that to people maybe and that will be like the decoy. So there's, there are reasons, like other reasons why we're doing this. We're not necessarily in the traditional vaccine route, um, although we are, I believe, helping out with the effort um, of antibody profiling, profiling that's being done um, also at this, also at Rockefeller. Right. But even just, just basically understanding as much as possible about the mechanics and the chemical reactions and all that stuff about how the virus, what the virus is and how it works, it all feeds yep. into, the, into the thing. So. Um, incredible, incredible. So, um, yeah, hope, well, glad that we've got you again. We'll kind of look forward to hear what's the first day you're going to go through that door and how long has it been since you were there? Oh God, I think it's been like 80 days since Whoa. I've been in the laboratory. It's been a while. Um, well, and for me, it's weird cause I'm, I'm starting, like I, I formally joined this lab, so I have to try to start my stuff. Um, so I have to like get BSL three approval, which may or may not mean that I have to redo all the paperwork I've been doing in quarantine. Now that we changed the protocols, uh, um, BSL three so is it, a level of be, security. Yeah, it's it's um, that's the one where you have to wear like the Tyvek suit and a respirator, like a, a face mask and an N95. Um, I think we managed to wear respirators now that we're working with a. So that's how when you but that's how you dress when you go into the lab normally. That is not actually. So normally I'm in jeans and a t-shirt and gloves and that's fine um but yeah lab coats most people most people don't wear lab coats that's a, a weird trope i tend to wear them only when i'm working with chemicals but um, or if you're gonna be on tv maybe yeah you know for for the style factor <laughs> um but yeah for the bsl3 that's when you wear an extra layer of protection like two pairs of gloves um one above and underneath so that when you you know you take out your outer layer the under layer of gloves that's clean can be used to remove uh, your face covering. Um, so that's definitely the more like severe, stringent thing. And we have a lot of protocols for like how you disinfect things properly. Um, Cause that's where we're working with some, you know, big boy viruses like, um, like, you know, West Niles is the one that I'm, I'm working with. So, mm-hmm. and like regular yellow fever, like we can work with the vaccine strain out in the lab and it's fine. But when you work with, you know, the fully powered up yellow fever that you haven't shot in the kneecaps by attenuating it, um, it's, that's when you have to really take the protocols because that it becomes a lot more scary. Wow, the whole language here changes. I like this, <laughs> big boy. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily scientific. Uh, the me to say no, no, but this is what I like: is how the scientists <laughs> actually talk. Yeah, yeah, it's very visceral. Fantastic. Um, well, good luck. So, so um, I look forward to hearing about that first day. So, when we see you again next yeah. week, will you you will have been there? Potentially. Possibly. It depends on yeah. what day you talk to me next okay. week. All right. Well, um, we'll find out. I think I'm going to try to come in like around Tuesday, but we we'll have to work out sign-up sheets. Like I said, I'm, I'm with someone else on a bench, so we have like two people's right. worth of coordination. We all have to be facing the same way. So there's wow. a lot of, there's a lot of nested protocols here. Nested protocols. That's great. That's a band name right there. We are nested protocols. <laughs> Hello, Cleveland. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, as always, for keeping us up to date. Um, this is just, it's such a privilege to be able to have you uh, and to hear how things are going there. To all of you out there in our audience who are about to cross a threshold that you have not crossed in 80 days or more, uh, or if you've recently done that, I would love to hear about that. We'd love to share your stories. 
Um, and I appreciate it. A number of you have been writing in. Actually, we get put together a mail bag episode uh, shortly because we've been getting some interesting uh, letters uh, and just some great ideas for ifs. That's our main show. On uh, I generally put that up on Fridays uh, where we take a thought experiment each week. So check that out. Whatthef.com. You can find all our episodes, both the news episodes and our regular feature presentation. Email us at feedback at whattheif.com or just go to our website, whattheif.com, and you can click on contact. Actually, right now, I think just right on the main page, when you go there, you'll see there's a little um, area where you can type a message and send it to us. Also, follow us on Twitter. Boy, um, thanks to our wonderful staff of uh, Howard Jung, and uh, especially, I think, with Twitter, Ilya Jung, we've been posting a lot more additional materials, additional information about episodes that we've done both now and in the past. So uh, at what the if show on Twitter, I urge you to follow us there and also tweet us, say hello. And that I believe is all. If you could rate us, rate us and review us and or review us on whatever podcast you're listening to, that would be really helpful. And this is a new, this news, this news thing in particular is new, new for us. So let us know what you think. How's it going? Are there additional things you'd like us to do? Uh, if you have any particular questions or particular news stories you've heard and you want to know about, let us know. Feedback at whattheif.com. To you, Gabby, to you, Matt, and to everyone out there listening, I hope you have a safe day. And, you know, let's keep this world going towards a better place for all of us. Take care. We'll see you next week.